Welcome to the Media Leader Podcast. I'm Ella Sagar. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the latest financial results from Netflix, one of the first at the start of the Q4 earnings season, Omnicom's flywheel acquisition, plus looking back at last month's ANA programmatic study, and this week's IPA agency census and ad spend predictions from the likes of AA Walk, if uh, that's not too much to cover. So joining us to discuss are my uh, lovely colleagues, Editor-in-Chief Omar Oaks, reporter Jack Benjamin, and columnist and industry veteran Nick Manning. Thank you all for being here. That's a great pleasure to Hello. be here. By the way, Ella, before we start, we should congratulate you on your appearance on the BBC. <laughs> Thank you, Nick. Very kind. Um, I'm actually going to come to you first uh, because of your latest column. We are going to be looking at Omnicom's groundbreaking acquisition of Flywheel. So you noted that this is quite a rare move and you called it, uh, it you said it would change the face of Adland forever. Can you tell us why? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's that's quite a grand statement, isn't it? But I genuinely believe that uh, there's going to be uh, more significant change in the world of marketing over the next five years than there has been for the last 10. And uh, the reason for that is the, if you like, the expansion of uh, marketing as a whole, and particularly in digital marketing, and the arrival particularly of uh, digital commerce uh, in a big way, including social commerce, shoppable TV, uh, retail media networks. So all of those things are really happening at a, a real pace now. Uh, and of course, we're also seeing big changes in the television marketplace, um, including Netflix, of course. Uh, so, you know, in, in a way, uh, the, the the internet is, is gathering even greater pace. AI is is causing a lot of that. Uh, and it's going to have a major impact on on marketing as a whole over the next five years and in, in a way that I think is difficult to predict, but I think the acquisition by Omnicom of Flywheel will be seen eventually as one of the milestones in that in that evolution. Mm-hmm. Because of them being that digital commerce retail media specialist? They are a digital commerce and retail media specialist. Uh, they've been, they were assembled, uh, Flywheel was assembled over really an eight year period uh, by Essential. It's, it wasn't a single entity, it was actually the, a roll-up of a number of acquisitions that Essential made. I was actually there at the time when I was with MediaLink, and I watched all this happening. Oh, okay. Uh, so Flywheel was uh, was a company that they bought in the US, but there's a, it's rolled up a, a number of other businesses in it, uh, one-click retail and others, uh, which Essential really started doing in about 2015. Um, and part of it was uh, the vision that they had, and this is Duncan Painter who was running it, uh, when he looked at the Chinese marketplace and the way that the big platforms were becoming multi-purpose uh, and taking pretty much doing everything in your lives. Now, we're not there yet, and we may not get there, but uh, the, the, you know, the reason they went heavily into digital commerce back then, uh, that far back, was was for those reasons. And we're starting to now see uh, the rollout of that. And Omnicom clearly looked at this and said, we've got to be a player in this. Mm. Uh, and it's the first time anybody can remember, I think, that they've made a large standalone acquisition uh, under the Omnicom wing, because normally all of their acquisitions are made via one of their operating subsidiaries. So to spend $853 million on anything is a lot. Yep. <laughs> uh, and to do it as a standalone entity is a, a really major play. And it signals the fact that digital commerce is going and retail media are going to be uh, very big news for a long time to come. And if you look at the growth of those two sectors, it's phenomenal. Mm. Um, and uh, they're growing They're growing the market, but they're also changing the face of marketing. And that's why I think it's going to be quite significant. And, you know, you could say also that uh, because of the way that the 
whole digital commerce world works. You don't really need a creative agency like the one you had before. You, arguably not even the same kind of media agency. Um, uh, you can do more of it in-house yourself. So it, it will have a significant impact, I think, on the agency market, ergo the holding companies. So watch this space, potential revolution in the media agency model and amongst many other things. Um, Jack, it's great to see you. Um, I heard You went to a World Media Group event yesterday, I hear. I did, yes. yeah. And they talked a lot about uh, Davos, uh, which was a big story uh, last week. That's been, everyone who's anyone was, was, was in Davos last week. I wasn't. Well, I wasn't. I, 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 I am therefore no one. No, but I can give you a few takeaways from the journalists that were there um, and the way that they described some things. So uh, just a few notes. Um, seems like the big takeaway was that Gaza and Ukraine are currently battling for the world's quote unquote, scattered attention. Hmm. Um, seems like people are having trouble focusing on both wars at once. Um, what they don't have trouble focusing on is AI. Uh, one of the journalists who described it as uh, about a third of Davos was kind of a AI sales conference. So <laughs> lots of business leaders were there as opposed to political leaders. It was a bit uh, skewed um, audience at Davos this year. And so there was a lot of AI chatter about what this is doing for business. Um, the thing that terrified me the most um, was that apparently everyone who is there from, you know, like Wall Street basically thinks that that Trump is going to win, or at least that they're hedging in that direction. Um, <laughs> so we've talked a lot about already the importance of this being an election year. It's always important to just sort of understand where money is expecting things to, to move, basically. So um, keep all that in mind mm -hmm. going forward. Mm -hmm. And the World Media Group's got a new CEO. Uh, they do, yeah. yeah. Uh, Jamie Credland, um, he's formerly from The Economist and then Economist Impact. Um, he's a really friendly guy. Um, through Economist Impact, he's been uh, cultivating a great experience of creating good events. So I would expect that WMG is a lot louder going forward. More events, more um, communication, basically, about this is what people in our group do. We do fantastic journalism. Um, there's a lot of value in that from an advertiser perspective, uh, according to many different research studies that have come out in the past year from the likes of Peter Field and Newsworks and, and people like that. So um, they're just going to be, I think, beating the drum louder than you would have heard before. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And Omar, your column this week, talking about the bellwether that we have just had, and then also AA Walk, interestingly, kind of echoes what you were saying in your column that they are uh, both of those reports are seemingly showing advertising is uh, outpacing the UK economy uh, in terms of they're not ne necessarily in line in terms of growth. Is that good news? Not good news for the industry? Good news? What do we think? Well, the weird thing about um, the the bellwether last week is that it struck me that when they when they said that this is the eleventh quarter in a row that marketing confidence has increased, we've not seen eleven consecutive quarters of GDP growth in the UK. So it struck me how much is this actually a bellwether sector anymore? Um, I'd argue, looking at those figures, um, it isn't, um, and that actually breaks with what we thought about this industry for a long time. Now we. There's been lots of reactions to this column. A lot of people have actually disputed um, how those figures are collated and how representative of it is in the industry. Talk to anyone in this industry. Um, following on from some of what Nick has said, it's, it was a very tough year in the industry last year, and it's set to be another tough year. Um, so whilst marketing budgets might be going up broadly on a macro level, where are they being spent and what are they being spent on? Um, if that if it's true what Nick is saying, and 
from everything I understand, it is. In creative agencies, um, you know, the the long they are in long term decline. Advertisers not spending on brand building advertising as much as they were before. All this money that the marketing budgets are supposedly increasing is going on these short term performance um, tech media channels. Um, so yeah, more money, but is you know is it good news? Well, I think I think that's a more open question. Mm, yeah. So is that a conference today? Um, from uh, Global in their out-of-home division, speaking to the luxury fashion beauty um, clients. And they there was a kind of almost plea in there of, please, please spend on out-of-home and not just on social media. <laughs> <laughs> so there is a, you know, that out-of-home can be a performance medium as well. There's this kind of the traditional having to yeah. kind of big up their performance kind of credentials. Uh, but of course, there is a correlation between uh, what we've been talking about in terms of <coughs> digital commerce and what's going on here is that the size of the marketing market is growing up. So, um, you know, it's reached over a, a trillion dollars now uh, worldwide, um, and that it's higher than it's ever been. But the bits that are growing the most tend to be the more digital and direct uh, parts of that. And you only have to look at what's happened I mentioned in my column the uh, players like Shein and Timu spending literally uh, billions of dollars uh, on advertising themselves on social media, primarily social media, last year. In fact, somebody reckoned that uh, last Q3 last year, the Shein or Timu, I can't remember, one of the two, uh, was probably on a pro rata basis the largest advertiser in the world in terms of what they'd spent, $1.2 billion on Facebook alone. Um, so, you know, they, they're all contributing to this massive growth in spend, but it's not necessarily brand building. Mm. Uh, it's part of the process whereby uh, marketing is changing and the gap between discovery and purchase is, is, is narrowing. That's because that's what digital commerce does for you. So the arrival of those players is certainly boosting it. And in the IPA report, it says it says events grew a lot and so did direct marketing, which is mm. the, the, the – and you kind of go – what is direct marketing mm. anymore? I'm not sure the definitions are quite keeping up with the change. So, <laughs> in uh, my head, direct marketing is the stuff you get through the post box well, and that it, kind of thing. But in, maybe in that's past, not and it. By the way, this stuff you get on Facebook. Sure, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it is. It, it is. That's why these definitions, unfortunately, are no longer particularly relevant. So, and and, and when you sort of think, well, it, did advertising used to be a bellwether for the economy? Absolutely. Uh, it is no longer that bellwether, but marketing uh, has changed, and mm. a lot more, there's a lot more spend in marketing because of the way that distribution of goods, products and services has changed to digital channels. And if you if your main distribution channel is through the internet, uh, that's where you go and get more customers, that's where you keep customers, you incentivize customers. I know, I, I, for my sins, I, I, as part of my research for the article, I became a customer for both Shein and Timu, and I am bombarded, <laughs> bombarded by retargeting, by emails, by programmatic ads from those two brands. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it is unbelievable what they're doing. They're throwing money and it's working for them. I mean, you know, Timu was the most downloaded app in the US last year with 130 million downloads. And apparently the UK is very, very high as well. So there's big, big changes in marketing and that's why the spends are going up. And the big issue for all of us is that the spends are going up, uh, but the so the pie is growing, but the slices of the pie are also growing at the same time. So everything's being 
being uh, narrow, salami sliced even more. Now, from a capabilities point of view, to be able to keep on top of all that and do the right thing by your clients, mm. bloody hard for any agency yeah. group. Trying to uh, bridge the gap between generalist, specialist, all of those things, there's uh, a lot more to Between cover. brand building and performance marketing. I mean, you know, the Peter Field presentation at the Future of TV was fantastic, mm. showing that television is still, you know, the lead medium for doing that. But for other brands, it doesn't matter because people like, although it's got to be said, Timu are advertising in the Super Bowl, uh, but really they're building their business by throwing money at digital channels uh, and it's working for them. So um, there are there are now lots of different ways to build a brand and build a business. And um, for some people, television is still going to be preeminent. Mm. Uh, and for others, it plays a much reduced role. Mm. Well, speaking of TV, we're going to go into the first kind of earnings that we've got through of the Q4 2023 season from Netflix. Um, so they were showing improved subscription numbers, revenues, share price um, was up 8% in after hours trading. The co-CEOs, Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters, um, were saying, we believe there is a lot of room for growth with the expansion of streaming. And if we continue to improve Netflix faster than the competition, we will have a company that will be increasingly valuable for consumers, creators, and shareholders. So Omar, my question, I guess, is on the subscribers front, where's that growth coming from? Because it, you kind of must hit a ceiling in certain markets where there's subscription fatigue and such like, What? where do you think that's coming from? Yeah, and um, also news came out this week that they're actually scrapping the basic tier without ads. So they already this is that already was not available for new subscribers, but for existing subscribers, they're booting you off to mm. either pay more or get the ads. Well, a Amazon Prime Video. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's interesting you say about the ceiling because um, you would have thought so in developed markets, but in the US and Canada, subscribers were up seven point eight percent. Um, presumably, a large chunk of that is the cheaper ad free, cheaper option with ads. Um, Europe, Middle East, and Africa up 16%, Latin America up 10%. So company-wide revenues up 13% in constant currency. The forward guidance, they're saying healthy double-digit revenue growth, margin improvements for 2024. Um, so all very good. Um, now, it's interesting when you look at the advertising in particular. Um, Greg Peters, um, he reiterated on the earnings call um, they're competing in a market where globally, if you look at total TV, it's talking about $180 billion market, $25 billion alone for connected TV. Um, and they say that in all the countries in which the ad product is now available, Netflix is covering 80% of global ad spend. So increasingly bullish, where when I think when they started on this journey of offering ads a couple of years ago, very you know, tentative, but increasingly more confident. Um, but it's interesting, um, the analyst Brian Weezer suggested that Netflix is operating at about a billion dollars annual ad revenue in the US and several hundred millions of dollars outside the US. So let's be charitable and call that two billion of ads. Here's the thing, that's peanuts for Netflix. This is a company with $215 billion market cap Share price movement alone dwarfs whatever two billion extra they're making from ads. So it's more. I still think it's more signaling for the market rather than actually building a long term business. Whatever they say, and they said it themselves. You know, ad revenue is likely to be single digits for years to come. So uh, I 
mean, they're, they're an entertainment company and let's leave it there. <laughs> They've also uh, recently just inked a deal with the WWE for about $5 billion. They've kind of stolen that from NBC Universal and it's that's all going to be off of... Um, and off of linear TV for the first time. Jack, are you a WWE fan at all? No, I'm no. <laughs> uh, I don't like wrestling, but apparently politicians do because they've taken a lot of uh, kayfabe from from the world of wrestling and applied it to the world of politics. But that was a very separate conversation. Um, <laughs> no, it's a huge move for Netflix actually, and you, you've seen streamers go after different sports rights. Um, honestly hadn't even considered the WWE. I hadn't been looking into it. And so it took me by surprise. I was like, you know, that is actually a huge audience that they are now going to get uh, lots of people subscribing to Netflix, if even just to watch specific fights. So, um, you know, I'm not a personal fan, but I think it's it is actually going to make a significant difference to the business. But they're, ta- but they're targeting young boys, yeah. young kids, the, the, the kind of demographic that's likely to get that cheaper option with ads, presumably. Mm. Well, it depends on if they steal their parents' credit cards. <laughs> well, they're also getting more into the gaming marketplace as well and with Grand Theft Auto and things like that. So, I mean, I think what's really interesting about Netflix is that, you know, in, in some markets, there's always a reference brand. So in, in the mobile phone market, you could say it's Apple. In social, it's Facebook. Um, in digital video, it was YouTube. Uh, and uh, in search, it was Google, and they are the reference brand in the streaming TV marketplace. And the interesting thing about those companies, I think, is that they tend to concentrate on doing one thing really well, um, and they spend all their waking hours thinking about it. They have enormous resources financially. They can hire the best people. They can buy. They can buy the best tech. And Netflix buy the best, or buy and make the best content. Uh, content. And um, if you look at their roster of films, their original films in particular, you look at The Crown and things like that. They're making better programs, and it's hardly surprising that you know when content is king, they're doing extremely well. Um, and they, you know, they are they they are the streaming market reference brand, uh, and everybody else has to catch up. And, and quite often. Um, the, the, those, the companies trying to catch them, are, they have their interest uh, or they're distracted by lots of other things. Um, uh, the thing that Netflix are new at, of course, is advertising. Mm-hmm. And they've been struggling to learn how to do that, um, obviously working with Microsoft. And, and judging by the earnings call, which is interesting, they're starting to feel as though they're finally getting to understand advertising better. But they're in the foothills yet. Um, but it's a bit like Sky. Back in the day, Sky's made, well, still do make most of their money out of subscriptions, and the advertising was about 10% of their total revenue. Um, I think it's a similar sort of model, really. Okay, that's interesting. I hadn't heard that before. Something I would just add, especially, Nick, as you referenced, that they make really great content, is that their head of film, Scott Stuber, just left over the past uh, week. And so he was responsible for getting big-name directors like Martin Scorsese to yeah. actually finally embrace the subscription SVOD service for as a medium through which to release films um, after very shortened uh, times in theaters. So I'm curious to see if they can replace that talent and still be attracting these really high quality projects that do bring subscribers yeah. that do sort of set the tone for all of streaming. Yeah. I, I'm the crown office is coming to an end now and, and mm-hmm. maybe it's seen better days anyway, but, um, but they're very good at coming up with new, uh, new concepts. They're spending a lot of money on it. The studios are embracing them more, as you say, Jack. So, um, you know, as long as they carry on, uh, you know, what doing what they're doing in, in the content terms, uh, then really it's, you know, they, they will continue to lead the marketplace and that single minded focus on it, I think is pay- paying off for them. So what I'm hearing is we want more series of the crown, like the future of the crown, the oh, crown in 2050. Oh, oh no, we don't. <laughs> 
Actually, the early I, I watched the earlier versions of The Crown way back, and they were extremely good. It all started to fall apart when it became about things we all remember terribly well. So, uh. mm. Mm. yeah, I think I remember watching one of the, the episodes with my parents um, about when they it set at a time when they were growing up, and that was more interesting than all of the stuff like that yeah. with Harry and and William that yeah. I remember. I'm like, no, not interesting. <laughs> we were talking quickly about like the password crackdown and mm. and the ad tier and everything. Is there anything else that we want to pull out of the Netflix financials um, that's kind of contributed to that improvement? Well, there you know there are a lot of people using the ad tier and increasingly so. Um, and part of that could be the password crackdowns pushing people that still want Netflix but aren't willing to pay for the higher tier. Um, they mentioned a few weeks back that they've already have 23 million global users of the ad tier. That's not technically like the number of subscribers because you can have multiple accounts on a subscription. Is this like a monthly active user? Yeah. I, I don't. I really don't like that metric. You know, monthly active. What does that yeah. mean? I, I don't okay. either. Um, I totally agree with you. Is it once per month and you're <laughs> yeah. monthly active? Right. Just... It's not that impressive necessarily. But what is impressive is that whatever that metric is by which they measure it grew over 50% within two months. So there is at least significant growth of the amount of people that are embracing the ad tier. Um, I would mention, I don't think any of these decisions are consumer friendly. And so Netflix is going to have to sort of deal with a decline in their perhaps brand value. Maybe they offset it through different advertising. I, I don't know how they communicate to the, the public, but I think something's going to have to bend there. Yeah, I think Amazon Prime Video, when that, that ad tier comes out, I think there is going to, but it is... Yeah, people that are balance. upset. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, well, you were on uh, the BBC <laughs> Radio 4 and you got to hear it firsthand. Yes. Yes. Very disgruntled people. Um, and I, I think that would be interesting to watch. And I'm sure there'll be more earnings coming out in the next couple of weeks. So you can check out on our website and newsletters for more info on those earnings as they come out. Um, uh, pivoting a little bit, something else you wrote about last month, Nick, which might have got lost over the holiday period mm. slightly, was the latest um, ANA programmatic study. Um, so these studies have been quite groundbreaking in the kind of methodology, that end-to-end -end mm -hmm. nature of how, how they cover yeah. what happens in that programmatic ecosystem and how much that of spend is being wasted. So what did the latest study say? <laughs> <laughs> it said loads of things. It's 120 pages long, which in, in <laughs> itself is, uh, might be a bit of an issue because uh, that's a, a lot to take in. But uh, well, the headline, uh, there's two major things, I guess, really. One is that uh, if the open web marketplace, online display marketplace is $88 billion big, which is what most people believe it is, they estimate that about a quarter of that is wasted. Um, and there aren't, there aren't many other industries in the world where $22 billion gets flushed immediately down the pan uh, like that. Um, but that's bad enough in itself. But the, the other headline uh, is that uh, of every dollar that advertisers spend on the open web display market, 64% uh, disappears in transaction fees uh, and low, low ad exposure, fraud, and other aspects of it. Um, that 36 cents in the dollar is a scandalously low number, but it's optimistic. The number is almost certainly less than that. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. One is that the waterfall that produces the 36 cents doesn't include agency commission, which previous studies did. So you can add a few percentage points there. The fraud number by most people's estimate uh, at one and a half, roughly 1% of all impressions is almost certainly on the low side. Some people would say it's in double figures. Um, WFA reports tend, tend to say about 5%. Um, the advertisers in question were among the more sophisticated who have actually got 
direct contracts with supply chains. They're using um, uh, uh, content verification companies, yada, yada, yada. So, oh, and, and of course, the viewability numbers that are in there are MRC standards, which is 50% of the pixels for one second or two seconds, whether it's display or static display or video. And I think most of us would agree that seeing half an ad for a second uh, isn't, isn't really much of a, a... Not much of a view. It's not much of a view. It's not a high hurdle. So the 36 cents in the dollar is probably uh, the best case scenario. Um, and it's bloody awful. Uh, unfortunately, because the, the, the uh, report came out in December, it appears to have uh, not got that much attention, really, um, which when you consider the scale of the problem is quite remarkable. Um, but the other remarkable thing is the lack of reaction to it, particularly from the agency community. It's, it's another report uh, that has uh, produced a wall of silence. Mm. So do you think it would change, I suppose you've kind of answered that question, that advertisers' agencies' minds about using programmatic or maybe changing their programmatic practices? Well, it should. It That's should. The, the point is it should. And there are 15 specific recommendations in the report about how advertisers should do that. But the thing to remember is that the people who benefit from, uh, financially benefit from the programmatic trading practices that we have today is the sell side. Uh, and obviously that includes the publishers, the ad tech companies, the data companies, the verification companies, but it also includes the agencies as well. So um, they're, they're very much on the sell side rather than the buy side here uh, and have been for years in, in, in a much bigger way than in non-programmatic media. So until uh, until the advertisers take it upon themselves to take control of this and not excessively rely on, upon their agencies to sort it for them, um, nothing will change. And they, you know, if they, if they rely on the agencies to solve it for them, it's going to be a very long, slow wait because it's not in the agency's interest to fix this. So they've got to take control. The A&A make it very clear. Uh, there has to be change in uh, behavior by, uh, by advertisers as well, because particularly um, if you're, they're excessively procurement-led, they associate uh, good media with low cost. And one of the things that has been underreported from the from the ANA study, which should have been all over the place, uh, is that there's no correlation between price and, and quality uh, in the programmatic marketplace. You can pay a high price for crap and you can buy quality for cheap. Uh, there is a, there's a, a chart in there that shows this very, very graphically. And so you've got a, a crazy market where it doesn't almost doesn't matter what you pay. Uh, it has no relation to what you're buying. Mm. Um, and a, a subsidiary of that, if you look at private marketplace deals versus the open marketplace, they're almost the same as well. So, you know, this is a dysfunctional marketplace that needs to be addressed, but it's not going to be addressed by the supply side. It's going to be addressed by the demand side. And the advertisers are the only pure demand side players. Mm. I mean, it's, that sounds quite quite bleak to be honest <laughs> <laughs> well well no the point is that the, there are solutions to all of this mm. i mean the the problem's been around for donkeys years but uh, this is the first report to actually put the um put the the, the the tail on it which is that the the actual ad exposure part of it and um i i co-authored the rfp that uh, that, that eventually led to this and uh, myself and tom triscari who who co-authored it with the ana said to them look you you know if you because the previous studies by Isbar and others didn't have that bit of it beyond the publisher. What happens to the ads? Is anybody seeing mm. them and so on? Jack, I think you covered the Isbar PwC report, didn't you? 
Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. Programmatic. Yeah. I think the thing that really drives me a little bit crazy is that you do have a lot of advertisers that care so dearly about making sure that their digital ads don't show up in very certain environments, especially yeah. news publishers get hit really hard when anytime there's war coverage or anything political yeah. and they pull ads because, oh, we don't want our ads there. And yet all this extra money that they're spending in the digital environment is either being wasted or in places that are actually rather unseemly. And they don't seem to care about that as much. I'm, I'm, yeah. At some point, there just needs to be a shift in priority. That's true. And, and, and in fact, in the report, it says, you know, what do you really care about when it comes to programmatic and brand safety, brands, you know, brand uh, health and all that is, is, is number one that they nominated by clients. So they're prepared to almost turn a blind eye to the massive waste, but as long as they don't turn up in the wrong places. Now, in terms of turning up in the wrong places, I mean, the average campaign uh, in, in the study ran on 44,000 websites. You can't control 44,000 websites. 86% uh, of the impressions were delivered in the top 3,000 websites. So you've got 14% of the impressions being delivered on 41,000 websites. Nobody can police that. Nobody can control it. But it's you so basic. Why do, why do advertisers do it? It's so basic. <laughs> Anyone who buys ads themselves on these platforms will know. Yeah. LinkedIn, Facebook, whoever, they give you a rate for how many impressions you can reach, you spend this much, yeah. and then you can click a you can yeah. click a button saying partner ad network. They're all yeah. called partner ad network, yeah. which is the the yeah. which is outside of the three thousand you talk about, yeah. and it's, and that's how you get your impressions. It's, it's so obvious what's going on. Why do people do that? Well, it's all it's all manageable, but it's not being managed, and uh, and it's one of the key reasons. And there are many key many reasons, but one of them is that because everybody gets paid on a per impression basis. Now, in a mar and, and the market, all the market works on this basis. You get paid per impression. So what happens? Everybody wants to uh, put out their trillions of impressions because that way, if you're paid per impression, you get a lot of money. And you don't often care whether uh, those impressions are real or not. And, and many of them, of course, aren't. 50% of internet traffic is fake. It's crawlers and, uh, and fraud and so on. So, you know, th there's not, there isn't as that much supply of advertising for, the, for that. So it, the supply chain wants to put out trillions of dollars of impressions because that's how they get paid. That's how they all get paid. So um, go, so, go, so you were talking before about Timu, like throwing all this money yeah. at Facebook and like going yeah. gate gun, great guns growth yeah. because of it. Presumably you'd have to assume that they're doing this as well, but because they're growing so much, they don't yeah. care. Uh, what they're doing, I mean, you know, if we think that online advertising, including Facebook and so on, is supposed to be targeted, Timu in particular have gone, never mind about all that. Uh, they're just throwing money at everything. And as a result, they've got 130 million downloads in the US last year and, and uh, big, big numbers in Europe as well. So they're, they're not that bothered about um, targeting and personalization. In fact, if you look at their, their, their website, why should they care? Because they, the, 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 there's something for everyone on there, <laughs> as long as you don't want high quality goods. Um, he said being a bit rude, but it's true. Uh, and people who haven't looked at it, you should look at it because it's quite stunning. Um, but going back to what I was saying is that, um, you know, everyone's paid per impression. So it's in everybody's interest to, to, be, to be putting loads of impressions out there. And the other thing is that nobody ultimately is accountable because the publishers aren't accountable for the success of the advertising, nor are the ad tech companies uh, up to a point that the media agencies kind of like to, you know, think they are, but they don't really do that. DSPs and SSPs aren't. Nobody's responsible or accountable for this other than the, the advertisers themselves. 
Um, so as a result, everybody's kind of going, well, I've just got my revenue target. So if you think about all the ad tech companies that floated between 2019 and 2021, there were there's dozens of them, all of which are now trading uh, up to 80 or 90% below their IPO price. Um, they've all got chief revenue officers who don't care whether advertising is successful or not. They just have their revenue targets to reach shareholder ex- expectations, which they haven't, of course, which is why the IPR prices are in the toilet. So they're just trying to, to push billions and, and billions of impressions through the system the whole time. And nobody much cares whether that's a, an effective use of money or, or, or not. The problem, of course, is if you if you don't spend all those all that money on billions of impressions, then half of the ecosystem would collapse, including publishers. Mm. So uh, it's, yes, we, we are yeah. where we are. Uh, but the, and the only and people- uh, Ecosystem's a good word, actually, uh, because um, it, came, it came up during our Year Ahead panel debate. I think it was Jerry D'Angelo, who used to be the media leader at uh, Procter & Gamble, you know, making this link between all the waste, all the energy that's being spent on these ads. The carbon cost. Yeah, the carbon mm. cost, what it's doing to the environment. Um, that for 2024, surely that argument needs to be- more strongly argued mm, maybe something else we should be looking into uh for for this year um sorry but just one final yeah. comment on this because uh, you can tell it's close to my heart oh yeah absolutely. <laughs> um is you know if, if we think about what we said earlier on about the fact that the marketing industry is growing uh, a lot uh mostly through digital channels social uh, search and uh, and so on um if, if a lot of that money is ineffective and i'm not saying necessarily that the open web is the be all and the end all it's not because there's loads of other things but if a lot of money is being thrown at the wall and it's not effective, then ultimately that is going to have some kind of payback in the end, um, you know, because there aren't that many Timus and Sheens around. And, um, you know, uh, and, and one of the reasons that digital commerce and, and um, retail media networks are, are being successful is it's easier to manage it, track it and measure it and analyze it uh, than because it's all in a big loop. Um, and, you know, what I can see is that uh, advertisers will say, well, look, you know, looking at this report, we shouldn't be spending so much money on open web. We should be doing more in the areas of digital commerce, in retail media and things where we can get a slightly better handle on how our money's being spent and what we're getting for it. So I think the growth of those uh, those channels is 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 in some way correlated to what we're seeing in the in the open web here. But the biggest problem of all, really, is that uh, is the omerta that exists in the marketplace about this problem. I mean, um, somebody said to me the other day, said, isn't it just like the, uh, the the commodities marketplace where the banana manufacturers only get 15p in the pound for um, for the what they, and, and there's a cost along the way? You kind of go, no, no, that's the wrong analogy. It's like going to your broker and saying, I've got $1,000 to invest. You, I want you to turn it into $1,200. I don't want you to turn it into $360. So you're looking for return on investment and you give your money to investment manager people called media agencies and, and DSPs <laughs> to invest that money to make $1,000 into twelve hundred or fourteen hundred or fifteen hundred, not three hundred and sixty dollars, mm. and that's what's happening at the moment. Mm. Yeah, food for thought there, and I think there's a lot of these things are not happening in in a vacuum, which I think is is, not, no, is it, fascinating. It's all correlated. Yeah, and we're going to move on to the quick hits now. So <laughs> uh, we're going to keep it to one minute, roughly per person. Uh, so to start off with you, Jack, on the IPA agency census. So the industry uh, is a bit larger than it was the last time it was measured, uh, but there's been some progress in certain areas like the um, women in senior leadership positions and the gender pay gap. So what do, what, what did you make of the figures and has there been progress from 2016 targets? Yeah, uh, I think the big word is marginal. 
There was marginal improvement in areas. So uh, well, we will have full coverage of the report online. You can check it at themedialeader.co.uk. But yeah, staff turnover was down marginally. The number of women in CC positions is up marginally, as you mentioned. The level of ethnic diversity in IPA member agencies is down marginally. Um, overall, I would say that's that's just evidence of not enough progress being made. You don't like to use the word marginally. You mentioned the gender pay gap improved a good bit this year. That's true, but it still stands at 15, 15.2%, which is not great. Um, there was also an increase in the size of the ethnicity pay gap from 21.1% to 21.6%. So that's, again, marginal. But you know it's even higher at 23% for uh, media agencies specifically. So that mostly specifically comes from an increase in the number of diverse entry-level workers and a decrease in the number of diverse C-suite-level workers. None of this, in my opinion, should really be considered acceptable, so I wouldn't really view it that positively. That's almost exactly a minute. Well done. And Thank you. I think <laughs> He's a true professional. <laughs> and and uh, what's interesting with the world, I wanted to add with the ethnicity pay gap, that is not compulsory compulsory reporting. The gender pay gap is, right. um, which is something that certain organizations in the industry want to change. Um so I'm going to now come to you, Omar. Uh, the Media Leader has launched a new uh, dedicated TV tech newsletter um, as we take on VideoNet, uh, which was a publication, our sister publication that covered the future of TV technology and platforms. Uh, so why are we doing this, Omar, and what can readers expect? Yeah, so we have a bulletin that's going out on Thursday at lunchtime, and it will be servicing what VideoNet uh, did um, which is TV tech, the convergence of TV. Um, so we write a lot about TV advertising. Nick referenced our future of TV advertising global event last December. Um, we also have a Connected TV World Summit event that happens in March, which we're looking forward to. Um, that content um, is very much technical, platform heavy, um, the future of TV distribution. And increasingly, it's going to be re very relevant to the world of advertising. We, we spent a good chunk of this conversation talking about Netflix. Um, a lot of it's going to be, you know, Jack mentioned, um, the consumer experience. Well, the consumers are the ones that have to fiddle with these EPGs, that have to fiddle with the ad loads, that have to deal with the broadband and how that's connecting. Um, just, you know, even, you know, we've discussed in previous podcasts about 4K distribution. You know, we're, we're going to get into the get into the weeds of this and it's going to be really interesting. <laughs> and that's on Thursdays, correct? Yes. yes. And uh, S4 Capital came out with its earnings um, this week and it forecast a 4% decline in revenue for this year. Um, due to volatile macro conditions and cautious spending from clients, particularly in the technology sector. Um, Nick, I don't know if you have any uh, thoughts on how surprising this might be to come from S4 Capital. They did lower their forecasts a yeah. couple of times throughout last year. It was quite a tough year for them. It was a very tough year for them. And I think that you know, some of this is self-inflicted wounds. I, I don't think you can read across from S4C to the market as a whole because of the rather unusual nature of them as a business. Um, they grew at an incredibly large pace. They didn't have the right controls in place. Very heavy tech. I mean, roughly half their business is tech. Um, and there's good tech and bad tech, as we all know. Um, so I, I think part of it is, is it's very difficult to sort of see them as being a bellwether for the market as a whole because of the problems that they've had and the nature of their client base. They seem to have leveled it out now. They made a big play of the fact that they've now got some proper people in place to run their financial systems, which you'd have thought was a bit of a given, but it wasn't at the start. So I think uh, they're, they're starting to level out, and, and I think we'll start to see them recovering quite quickly as the, as the market gets better later over the next few years. Mm -hmm. And I'll come back to you again for the, for the last quick hit about the BBC Midterm Review. And uh, Lucy Fraser, Culture Secretary, saying that the BBC 
needed to adapt or risk losing the trust of the audiences it relies on. Yeah. What did you make of the report and that comment in a minute? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I can't improve on what Ray Snoddy wrote in, in today's Media Leader about this. But, you know, what, what I wish that reporters would do more of is just look at the facts of the matter. And Ofcon themselves do a study every year of about, of, about trust in the media titles and if you just look at the number of people who use uh, the media for news, so the BBC have four out of the top six news sources. Uh, so you've got BBC One, uh, iPlayer, News Channel, and their websites and apps, and that's four out of the top six. And if you read across to uh, to the other data in the Ofcom thing, it says, who do you trust for your media? The BBC is way out ahead uh, of everybody else, uh, partly through their high penetration, but actually relative numbers. So the reality is they're still highly trusted by their users and they've still got many millions of them. Not to say that there isn't some uh, attrition in there and there are issues, but uh, actually, you know what, uh, that perception of bias is a lot of perception. But the, but the but Lucy Fraser had to appeal to some of the more uh, outspoken members of her constituency. Mm. Yeah, I, I suspect we won't be hearing from her for much longer. <laughs> you, you know, you, you know what the BBC doesn't suffer from. Mm. Is the BBC doesn't have to worry about when they put out a new story about Israel, Gaza, about um, a terrorist attack. They don't have to worry that suddenly they're going to be demonetized because advertisers don't like ads appearing next to that content. Um, we mentioned it in a previous episode of the podcast. This is a big issue that publishers suffer from way mm. more than being crowded out by the BBC. Yeah. yeah, it was the number one thing that uh, the World Media Group was was pushing. You can read my interview with, with Jamie Credlin, the new CEO, and that's his biggest concern. That's their publisher's biggest concern. It's not AI. It's not social media reducing referral traffic. Yeah. It is advertisers just not spending enough with them. And, and that's a perfectly legitimate response. And, and the thing about the BBC is it's independence. I mean, it obviously, there's a lot of people who don't like the funding model because they feel as though they're being forced to pay for something they don't use mm. or say they don't use. Um, but we still need to have that. We need to have a strong BBC who is independent and it is the trusted, the most trusted source of news, despite what everybody, sorry, not everybody, despite what some people some, say. Yes. Uh, and they say it very vitriolically. Mm. I mean, boy, oh boy, are there some horrible uh, comments made about it uh, out there. But the, the reality is that the general public still likes and supports the BBC news coverage before we even get into talking about all the other things that the BBC do, like entertaining and informing and providing gaiety for the nation. But honestly, there are people yeah. who, 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 you know, commenting on this, who sort of say, I never, ever watch uh, or, or hear or read anything on the BBC. You're kind of going, well, you're losing out in that case because there's an awful lot of good stuff out mm. there. You don't have to listen to their news output, but you can watch Strictly if you really want to. And you might even want to watch Mash of the Day, even though you think Gary Lineker is the spawn of Satan. I mean, <laughs> you know, turn the sound down. <laughs> Subtitles on. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's uh, our quick hits um, done for today. Uh, as always, thank you, everybody. And uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Media Leader Podcast. You can find and listen to all our episodes on our website at themedialeader.co.uk or wherever you get your podcasts. But just remember, please do subscribe to be notified when we release our next episode. From all of us at The Media Leader, I'm editor Omar Oaks. Our executive producer is Jack Benjamin. See you next time. <laughs>